Okay, you know what? Fuck it. Are you recording? Yes. No fucking intro. We're talking about Delhi Premonition 2. <laughs> this game is a fucking mess. Uh, I'm not happy. I'm not happy that we're doing this episode like this. But welcome. Welcome to a day one review of Deadly Premonition 2, aka the state of Deadly Premonition 2, because it's not finished. <laughs> welcome to Deadly Premonition 2 Early Access. Yes. Impressions part one. Yes. We paid $50 <laughs> to play an alpha build of a game that I don't think would be good if it was finished <laughs> and is just bad and unplayable in the state that it's in. Uh, yeah. And like, I would say you're exaggerating about the unplayable thing, but uh, yeah, it's literally unplayable because I got a dead game on all my game saves. Yes. And even when I restart the chapter, it still freezes up on the same exact part each time. Yeah. So, literally, unplayable gamers. So, I played the whole game by some miracle. Uh, (laughs) I I got through the whole game. James played most of it and then had to watch end of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4. Just, like, watch a video of it. Yes. Um, Unfortunately. Yeah, I think if you are trying to complete this game right now that's probably going to be a pretty common thing uh yeah i've had i've read several cases on reddit of the same thing happening to people mm -hmm. so i mean it's not just like four of us i bet yeah but i pray for you all so and i'm gonna say right off the jump that like uh the way that reviewers and people have been talking about this game they're really playing up the fact that this game run, runs at like 10 frames per second average, which like that does, you know, that's not good, but also like you can get used to that. The thing that they're playing down that's like totally blowing my mind are the bugs. Cause yeah, like the I mean, bugs well, are game breaking on many levels. So, you know, big picture. I think I liked the game more than you. But at the same time, I forgive it less for its fucking frame rate. Like, yeah, sure, it's running at like 12 to 14 frames a second, but it's not a steady 12 to 14 either. Yeah. Like, it'll hitch up constantly. And it's fine when you're just skateboarding and listening to York talk. But like, once you pull out your gun and you actually have to fight like bad guys at like 10 frames a second, like it becomes like a steaming hot pile of trash. Well, totally. And that was one thing I was realizing later, too, was that so the frame rate crashes like all the time. Like, and you can, there's a digital foundry video where you can literally watch them chart it and it crashes to zero like all (laughs) the time. And it's a problem not just because it's disorienting and kind of makes you feel sick, but it's, it like fucks up the gameplay. And we'll talk about it when we get into it, but there's some stuff that's bugged because of that. Because, like, you know, it makes the game impossible to play. Uh, but there's bigger bugs. There's worse bugs. There's crashing. There's soft locks all mm. over the place. There's yeah. crashing at load screens and during cutscenes all mm. over the place. Um, Sometimes the uh, voices will just cut out mid sentence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, and, you know, the controls lock up all the time. I kept getting a bug where I couldn't do anything but run and, and select, so I couldn't fight at all. That's bizarre. Uh, I didn't have that happen. Yeah, I also had all my ammo get deleted in the middle of a boss fight, which was cool. I'm also not the only person that happened to. <laughs> I, and once again, if you look up this shit you're experiencing, you'll find other people. But 
the crazy thing about all and this stuff mostly affects you like when you're in dungeons and some of the later dungeons like the last two dungeons are really long and especially the last mm. one doesn't have save points throughout wow so like it was scary like part of the last dungeon i had to just karate <laughs> chop my way through and it was like it was horrifying because i was like if this crashes i'm not finishing this game like well, I'm you just heard it your off. first deadly premonition 2 is scary <laughs> yeah said it. It, it it is in that way it's anxiety inducing and yeah the, it gets for me it got worse as the game went along the last mm-hmm. dungeon is a nightmare the third chapter is a nightmare for bugs and glitches and yeah. the last boss is comical i mean on many levels <laughs> but especially just how like glitchy it is and fucked up mm. the sound is man it's like such a mess yeah but also don't forget the last boss in part one well okay now here's the thing and i'm i keep seeing this narrative that people are like well isn't this just like the first game no because the people who played the first game on release and the people who kept telling everybody to play the game and kept saying it was actually great played the original 360 version the original 360 version ran fine it did not yeah. it was not a glitchy mess it was like a normal game like yeah the graphics are weird yes the sound mixing is weird the animations mm-hmm. are stilted mm-hmm. it was not like this and so right. for me that's my picture like the pc port is not my picture of delhi premonition the switch port yeah. when it first released mm-hmm. was not my picture of delhi premonition and even now post patch the switch port is pretty good yeah i i, I do wish it just stuck with so the switch port has a variable frame rate. And so inside it can be 40, 50 frames a second. And then outside it could be like 15, 20, 25. Sure. I, in, in situations like that, I kind of wish they would just like lock it at 30 max just because the variable frame rates like do kind of make your brain hurt a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, sticking at a 30 would be a good idea, but yeah. Okay. So there's like, the trolley people that say the similarities about the performance, but I'm really talking about the similarities in one, like how stupid the plot can get uh, to how the actual trudgery of playing a lot of the things in the game, um, like how just awful the side quests are and things like that. But yeah, the, I think those are like the two categories here where the performance versus like, general like game wonkiness well yeah and here's the thing my argument is that i'm not gonna say that the first game didn't have all the stuff that's in the second game it does the second game is largely just the first game however the thing that i'm going to keep arguing and the reason that it made me want to just throw my switch out a fucking window is that (laughs) they literally doubled down on all of the worst things I will agree on that. Double down. <laughs> it's like they didn't learn from the mistakes from the first game. They're like, oh, the fans saw this as a flawed masterpiece. Let's use the flawed masterpiece as a template and then make a, a direct sequel to it. Yeah. So every single thing is worse. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and the thing, too, that I'm going to argue and that I now and I was, you know, I will say that doing this podcast made me like Deadly Premonition more 
than I originally did. I always mm. loved it, but I like really got into it. We talked about it so much and it was such an important part of like us starting up our podcast, like kind of making our first like podcast friend, Whitney, who I'm sure this episode will like upset greatly. I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> and and it's like it I kind of like I loved it so much that I started to think that like maybe the original Deadly Premonition is genius. But then mm. playing this game actually retroactively sort of changed my feelings where I feel like the first Deadly Premonition I now believe to be a gigantic fluke. It's still brilliant, but like that's it. It was sure. just that game. It shouldn't be a series. Well, I disagree with that because Deadly Premonition 2 does have a lot of good things going for it. And generally, though, that's its characters. It's not the narrative arc. It's not the story. It's the characters. Like, Sweary builds these, like... Well, again, it's like a David Lynch clone, right? Every character's got to be, like, idiosyncratic and weird. Sure. But he has a way of, like, throwing this, like, you know, Japanese PS2 David Lynch together and making these characters very endearing and interesting and quirky. Um... The story worked better in the first game. I don't think it's like a masterwork. Well, um, here's the th- okay. So okay, okay, hold on. Let's let's go back for one second here <laughs> to say, like I said earlier, this is a review of the current version of Delhi Premonition yeah, Two. Yeah. And this episode is mostly going to be spoiler free. We'll drop a tag to tell you when it gets spoilery. I know a lot of people are curious to hear what we thought about the game, if they should play it now, what we think about the state it's in. So we're going to try and give you all that and talk about the controversial stuff and the problematic stuff in the game and blah, 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 before we get into like spoilery shit. Yeah. So just, I just want to get that out of the way and say that. But like playing this game made me realize that. It's easy to look at Deadly Premonition 1 and just say, oh, like it's Twin Peaks, right? However, I think the genius of Deadly Premonition 1, should I just start calling it Deadly Premonition Origins? I don't know what to call it now. <laughs> so clunky. Uh, the genius of it was that they took the, the arc and the plot beats of Twin Peaks and they wrote their own story modeled after that and used it as a way to structure the game right so like sort of you should you show up in this town you start there's a murder you start meeting the people of the town as you're meeting them and growing close to them or whatever they start dying they're getting picked off now everyone is either dead or a suspect you know events start converging things intensify and then there's like a big ending yeah it becomes anime yeah, and we talked about it in the episode. The ending of the first game is stupid as fuck. It's super yeah. dumb. And if you yeah. looked at it just as a story, it's bad and it's like a fumble. Mm. But you kind of forgive it because the rest of the story is so good. The characters are so good. And the arc is so nice. Like, I like the three or four day structure in the first game. I like how you meet the characters and become acquainted with the town and then watch things happen to them just like in Twin Peaks. Right? right, I think this game it has the fun side characters. I don't think it has the good setting, which is partly technical and partly something else. And mm. I also don't think it has a good arc to the main story. That's another big thing. Is like as we've covered on this show, Deadly Premonition. A lot of the depth in the story in the first game came from doing side quests and diving in. But even if you didn't do that, you still got a lot of 
good story wrapped around good main characters and this game does not have that yeah it seems like all the best characters are sort of in your periphery you know yeah and i think too that because of the technical stuff you will probably end up just playing the main story and just like after the second chapter i didn't do any side quests or anything so it was just so difficult it was so buggy and shitty i restarted the game so many times that i was just like fuck it you know so i stopped doing the side quests and so i was just getting the main story and it was boring like it was such a slog you know well before we go into any of the story stuff i do want to go back on something you said you said you don't think that the setting is interesting what about the rural louisiana setting do you not find interesting okay the game world is ugly and it has no charm like you meet interesting characters but they don't feel like connected to the world and even like just and this is once again kind of half technical half design right like when you're out in the overworld it's so bland and ugly and then you go inside a building it instantly looks somewhat better right oh totally yeah but like you don't because of that and there's such a big difference between them like you don't feel like they're in the same place or that they're connected or that they're like inherent one to another you know what I mean? Mm. I felt like the setting of the first game was so cohesive, like it being this Twin Peaks style Pacific Northwestern small town with all these small town archetypes and like people who, you know, act the way that small town people act. It was just so cohesive. It was like everywhere you went was part of the story and part of the world. In this game, it just felt so much more disconnected. And I think mm. it made me realize how much I enjoyed just tooling around the Pacific Northwest in the first game and how much of like a vibe that gave you. Yeah. I don't know. I, well, I have family from Louisiana, so I'm kind of biased. So I do think the rural Louisiana setting is pretty cool. But like, do you think that he did it justice at all? No, no, No. that, that was going to be my next thing. It's, (laughs) it's it's a very generic, especially with all like the voodoo, or whatever. it's so goofy, but I will say like, Rural Louisiana is, like, creepy as fuck. And, like, voodoo is creepy as fuck if you, like, take it seriously. But this felt, like, more like Mardi Gras decorations than, like, real voodoo, you know? Well, okay, exactly. We've both talked about on the show, we love Southern Gothic. You, you know, even more so because you live down there. I love it just because it's cool. And, like, I've spent some time in the South. We both love True Detective, you know? Like, and this game claims that as an influence when you play it. There's nothing convincing or interesting like this is like if you set a game in mexico and then took all your influences cultural influences and aesthetic influences from like the dollar store section of target around day of the dead time like yeah it's like so generic and stupid it feels like no research was done and it feels like there was no reason for choosing this besides just being able to claim that you're influenced by true detective which also like they just did that so badly in this game it just seems like the uh, the research was like very um, pinpointed because they do go into that like big argument about like Creole versus Cajun food and things like that, but like nothing of substance in terms of the plot. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what I mean. And like when okay, and so here's another example. Uh, 
another game that I don't like, but I think does the setting better is like Outlast 2 in terms of doing mm. the Southern Gothic thing, having some of the kind of like fringe rural religion thing going on, all that sort of stuff. Like that game is also bad, but it does it better and it gives you the vibe. This game has no vibe, dude. This is like the only game with Zydeco music though. Like for real, but it's not even like good ever. Zydeco music. Cause I actually grew up. There really is no like, good Zydeco music. Motherfucker. There is good Zydeco <laughs> music, dude. I grew up listening to a lot of Zydeco music for some reason. I cannot tell you why, but we love Zydeco music. And like, mm. I have a real soft spot in my heart for Zydeco music. And the music in this game kind of honks. Like it's not actively <laughs> bad. It's just really bland. There's some good, there's some good music hits. I do love like when the investigation heats up and you have to like inspect things and like the music's kind of like a kind of like a tense like synthy type thing. I like that. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, it's all fine. I guess like that's like <laughs> some of it is bad. I'd say a couple things are bad, but like it's not like the first game, and I know that because whenever a track from the first game would come on, I would just be like, "Oh my god, yes!" You know, washing your face meme exactly <laughs> yeah i mean the the uh the skateboarding music is probably the most egregious just because it's what you hear the most yeah and it's this like goofy little dennis the menace song that yes. i can't stand and like it's cool for a second or something but it's just like not cool right like for two seconds or more well exactly and so here let's talk about traversal for a second right like Traversal in the original Deadly Premonition, we talked about it. It's a double-edged sword. Because on the one hand, especially in the re-releases, not as much in the original, the driving controls are bad. And like it's kind of hard to not flip your car. And like mm-hmm. if you drive everywhere and don't use fast travel, it takes forever. But there's these it gr- takes forever. There's these great conversations that they put into the game. And I like the the scenery in the game, even though it's so basic, like it has that Twin Peaks vibe. So you're just like driving around Twin Peaks, talking to your buddy. Like it's a great experience in this mm-hmm. game. You have two buddies, right? So it's like twice as good, except <laughs> not true because I don't, there's part of it is bad design and part of it is bugs. So well, it's weird because when you're walking, you talk to Patty, Uh huh. but if you accidentally like pick up an item or get hit by a car or something, it'll cut off the conversation. Yes. And it's infuriating. And they're so in the original, each section of the game, uh, kind of like sub chapters, I think, cause there are actually quite mm-hmm. a few conversations. Like each sub chapter would have its certain amount of conversations. It would, it would offer you one as like a press a to talk thing while you were driving. You could press a hear the conversation and then you wouldn't hear it again. When he would listen to all the conversations, you would just get a little sound bite like York might hum or just say like one line or something, but you wouldn't listen to the same conversation over and over and over and over in this game. So you have two versions. You have when you're walking, you can talk to Patty. That's a push to talk, but it's randomized. And so you'll hear the same conversations over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And you'll never get to the end of them. Because what happened to me is that the frame rate would tank. And then I would like walk into a tree or something. And then like the conversation would cut <laughs> off or it would cut off randomly. Not to mention when you have to pick up an item or open a menu or anything will stop the conversation. But even worse because technically you can just give up on those right and it's sad because you're just giving up on not hearing a big 
part of the dialogue in the game. The best part of the game. Exactly. But you can give up on it, right? On the skateboard, you can't because it auto plays randomized conversations. And I swear mm-hmm. to God, they're not random. They're weighted because you will hear the same conversations over and over and over. <laughs> you will hear about the fucking bridge in Duluth. You will hear about the molten hot sun over mm-hmm. and over and over. And it was just so sad because it was like, that's a one of my favorite parts of the first game and B the thing that made the bullshit traversal bearable. <laughs> so now it's just like unbearable. Yeah, well, you. What I do is I every time I hear the Hoongan conversation, I jump off my skateboard and then jump back on it again. It's <laughs> that lasts a good eight seconds before I have to do it again. Oh my god, I know. Do you know who he reminds me of? And he says fucking <laughs> African American in that conversation. And I've said before that white people saying the phrase African American makes my fucking skin crawl. But that's <laughs> something we'll need to get to later to talk about this game's weird relationship with that. Uh, this game's weird relationship with the quote unquote magical Negro. Uh, yeah. Yeah. James Baldwin. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. It is dark sided. Um, but so, like, it just sucks because, like, the traversal in the original game sucked, but it had this charming thing that this game obliterates. And it not only obliterates, but it like continually reminds you that it obliterated it and like mocks you for wanting to try. Cause like I really tried with Patty. I was like, I want to hear the conversations with Patty, but no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and just so people who haven't played the game know, basically this game, instead of the first game where you had this giant open world, Um, you have a much smaller open world that's just like a big square that you can explore. You can either do it on foot uh, where you're joined by your assistant, Patty, who's like a Mm -hmm. young, kind of sassy young Southern girl. (laughs) Or you can jump on your skateboard because York got his car stolen. The thief left him a skateboard. And apparently (laughs) there's no place to rent or borrow a car and he can't borrow a cop car like in Greenvale. So he has to skateboard everywhere. Uh, It's his darling. It's his darling. So, you know, one thing someone asked today in the discord is the skateboarding fun. No. Uh, The other question is the skateboarding bad. I mean, besides the conversation stuff we just talked about. No. I mean, I guess it's It's okay. It's It's just a means to an end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't hate it. I do hate the skate, the frame rate while skateboarding, though. It's hard for me to say how it would feel with a functioning game. Well, the other thing that sucks, though, I will say, because, yeah, the frame rate tanks it totally. Like, it just ruins it. But it's also weird because, like, so you can do side quests and get materials to make charms, uh, different Mm -hmm. types of charms, like necklaces or incense or whatever, which you can then equip and they'll increase your stats. And like one of they affect different areas. So there's like one for your gun, one for your you know health and stamina, one for your skateboard, etc., etc., etc. And if you get the ones for your skateboard, you can get one that like gives you like you know plus five to handling or whatever, and like shit like that, or like you know plus to speed or whatever. And when you equip those, it actually starts to feel better. And it's just super, it? it's super fucking annoying because it's like it just feels so shitty and sluggish as the default that it's like, why would you lock the game not playing Mm. like shit behind progression puzzles? (laughs) That's fucked. I only ever did one charm and maybe uh, I should look into doing some more. No, they're like so (laughs) unnecessary. I mean, like 
it's funny because the ones for your gun are kind of the same where it's like they make it a little easier to do the combat but the combat sucks so bad that it's like mm. i don't know it's like do you want mm. a lot of someone pissing on your leg or just like <laughs> a little bit less of someone pissing on your leg like you're still getting your leg pissed on dude it sucks i need a charm to skip every dungeon in this game yeah so okay just like in the first game this one is separated into overworld sections where you can do side quests or story missions or visit different places and Mm -hmm. dungeons where you go and you just do corridor shooting and try to get through them some point in the dungeon you'll do an investigation scene just like in the first game um but a lot simpler and yeah once again it's another thing that they kind of just ported in from the first game but made it worse the big thing that makes it worse is there's now combat in the overworld like outside of dungeons there's combat and it's horrible well okay so are the dungeons bad yes are they worse than the first game Uh, i think it's debatable I almost want to say yes, but man, I really disliked several parts in the dungeons in the first game that I think those parts are worse than the utter like broken mediocrity of the second game. Like the the quick time events are gone, which is a huge plus. Yes. And then all like the weirdness of like hiding in lockers and stuff and holding your breath, all that utter nonsense is gone. But what you're left with is just like the stupid corridor shooting with like a door that's blocked off and you can't unblock it until you shoot all the bad guys. Yes. So it's like lazy, like maze corridor shooting. I think like all three dungeons all look the same too. And yeah, it's just like ultimately like super unfun. There's only like two or three bad guys. The main bad guy says snarf all the time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. One of the bad guys looks like the stripper on the back of a mud flap. Yes, and it's just utter bullshit. Um, I don't know if it's worse than the dungeons in the first game though, because I think of, like the wall lady, the wall lady that would like stick on the ceiling and you have to shoot her seventy three times. Like I hate that shit. I agree that it's debatable, uh, and I think it is going to go down to people's personal tastes. The reason that I thought it was far worse than the first game is a, a few reasons okay number one the stage design and the enemy spawning is fucked because like <laughs> the stages are much smaller so you're still doing corridor shooting but you're in hallways and rooms that are really really small and cramped mm-hmm. and enemies spawn around you like so so if you are running through the stage enemies will spawn around you and suddenly you'll just be like surrounded by enemies and the combat is so shitty that like you'll just get swarmed and you won't die you'll just like waste a bunch of items and you'll just be really frustrated and annoyed because you're like fighting the controls um the other thing is that because of all the glitches obviously uh you'll end up restarting stages or having to do really crazy shit to get through the stages like your controls will stop working and all this crazy shit will happen to you and it sucks so you'll end up spending like an hour on a dungeon that should be like 20 minutes tops right yeah Uh, 
Another thing, the enemies, like you said, they're fucking horrible. They all are like total nonsense designs. The sound design is far worse. Like instead of the, I don't want to die. Like it's this screaming loud, awful noises. One of them is literally a dude going, snarf. Uh, one of them is a dude just whispering really like gross stuff like I want to control you let me hold you uh, really? I yeah. didn't hear that you didn't hear that? Yeah. yeah and then the other one are these like horny ladies with tentacles who like mm-hmm. moan very erotically and mm-hmm. it's like as James put at some point in the game you'll end up sitting there like punching them in their butt cheeks while they moan erotically and it's like you know what this is not what I paid $50 to do (laughs) while some other guy screams snarf (laughs) yeah exactly but guess what guys that's not it there's two more reasons why the combat is worse another big one focus bar so Oh yeah. The combat is made easier because there's now a lock-on system, so you can lock on to multiple enemies and charge up. However, mm-hmm. it's tied to your focus bar, so which is very tiny up in the top corner of your screen. It runs out all the time, and every time it runs out, you either have to do normal combat or you have to open up the menu and take like 30 seconds to go get to where your coffee is, drink a bunch of coffee and go <laughs> back to comp. Like it slows down the game to a point of just being egregious yeah i just ended up never using the charge shot and always running out of bullets you see that's the that's the thing if you use a charge shot you have way too many bullets like you have you basically have infinity bullets but then you're also just like chugging coffee and going into your menu which takes forever because everything takes forever in this game Mm -hmm. and the other thing that sucks for exactly the same reason it just takes forever slows down an already clunky system are status ailments Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. So there are now status ailments. The main one you get is, like, this paralysis. Uh, You will get paralyzed all the fucking time, and, like, you have to go into the menu and take the medicine, but you might not realize it at first because the controls are already so sluggish and shitty and glitchy that you're like, oh, my gun just doesn't work. But then it's like, no, (laughs) you're actually paralyzed. Yeah, it is. If you don't have the medicine also it's just annoying like yeah you're swarmed by enemies you're out of bullets and you just have to karate chop them all to death well and that's the thing like in the first game the combat was fucking shit but at the same time it was just stand in a corridor guys spawn in front of you you shoot them the end like there was nothing like all of this hassle like i just Mm. couldn't deal with it you know well, the first game let you unlock a machine gun also mm-hmm. with infinite bullets. And that was like the way to go in that game. Yeah, totally. And then so in, also in this game, like the bosses are just ridiculously easy. Yes. <laughs> like the bosses take, what, 15 seconds to beat? Yeah, if you play your cards right. Yeah. The first two bosses have the same first phase. It's like copy and pasted. And more or less the same second phase as well. So weird. Yeah, it's just... Well, I don't know if you mentioned earlier in the episode. Maybe it was before we started recording. But, like, the dungeons are also exactly the same. Yeah. They look the same. They're in they this, all look like a generic hotel or something like that. Yeah. They're just in, like, an other world, quote-unquote. And, like, yeah. they all look the same. They have the same boss. It, it's super lazy and it's super boring and with all the extra stuff they had to combat and the terrible sound mixing 
Uh, it's just a nightmare. My favorite is that sometimes the sound gets stuck in a loop. So uh, my two favorites were when the horny ladies die, they go and like I got one of those stuck in a loop for like a solid two minutes. And then also the second to last boss in the game like does the stomping attack where he goes like literally that is just someone doing that. And it got stuck at that for like once again, like a whole minute. This game does not need combat. Well, no one's here for the combat. And that's, I mean, we had kind of talked about this, I think, in the third Deadly Premonition episode that we did, where it's like, <laughs> this game, I mean, if, like, the dream game of Deadly Premonition 2 is that there's no combat, and it's just all story and conversation, and that kind of stuff, and just side quests and tooling around, and it's like, why is this stuff here? Well, speaking of combat, let's talk about the things around town that you shoot dogs and squirrels and alligators are you kidding yeah so okay so here's another thing is that every quest in this game is like an extreme collect-a-thon and like it's more than the first game and it also involves you killing tons of animals for some reason it just reads us so lazy yeah like shoot 30 squirrels kill 30 dogs shoot 30 alligators and kill 30 beasts of the night yeah it's like it's so ridiculous and then you know because of all the technical issues that we've already been talking about it just makes them like an extreme chore and it's so last minute like this game is so clearly rushed like the dogs and squirrels don't have like turning animations yeah so their character models are just like walking forward but like turning on an axis yeah so bad and corny well and it's like chapter two introduces you to the idea that like you're gonna have to do these collect-a-thons right and it's bad but then chapter three is like there's four chapters in the game just fyi but like chapter three is like guess what fuck you we're gonna make you do a couple new things number one forced mini games which obviously everybody loves and that's where you got stuck right james that's where i got a dead game yeah yeah but also i mean part one i also had forced mini games yeah remember the fishing scene where you couldn't even quit it if you didn't want to do it anymore but i think that's the only mini game you have to do in the game you don't have to do the other mini games that's the thing so like the thing i'm going to keep coming back to is that in the first game all of the padding and a lot well not all a lot of the padding and a lot of the bullshit was optional Mm -hmm. and if you just wanted to play the main story which is how i played it the first couple times i played it like you really could just go through the game and skip all this stuff. Yeah. And so once again, I think it's important to have that perspective. Like I'm someone who's not a completionist and who played the original release of the game. I basically casually played deadly premonition and I liked it. So it's Mm -hmm. like the fact that this game was like, you have to play the horrible glitchy bowling game. Like, no, please God. No. But yeah, chapter three also, uh, whips out another chestnut and throws it right at your forehead, which is that they decided that the most riveting thing they could do would make you follow people around or dogs around at an extremely slow yep. speed. They thought it was so good to do in the first game that they did it for a second game. Yeah. So you just like slowly walk around following a first a dog. And then I think it's Patty, right? The second yeah. time. 
and the scene is so slow you can't there's no dialogue there's no nothing there's no music really it's like the quiet shitty dennis the menace music yeah and like i got so zoned during that chapter that i actually almost fell asleep (laughs) it's really long uh it took me about 30 minutes i screwed up one time because if, if you lose the dog it makes you start over yeah so yeah it took me about 30 minutes the second time i had to do it well, and once again, every quest you get sent on in this game is so makes it so clear that they were just trying to stretch out the game time because the game was rushed and it's not finished. Like, mm-hmm. even, you know, the first few quests you get, like one of the first quests you get is that you have to go find ingredients, like food ingredients for this crazy preacher guy. <laughs> and like, what you know, they're vague, but the f- one of them is pretty like obvious and then the other one you're literally meant to run around town and check every vending machine in town yes like i saw that and i was like dude fuck this i just went online and looked it up and i ended up doing that again in the game because the game threw another one of those quote-unquote challenges at me and it was like this isn't a challenge this isn't fun it's not even a game like what the fuck besides finding that can in the vending machine there's also a thing where you have to wait until monday but it's like Wednesday. If you're playing the game regularly, you'll get the quest on Wednesday. Yeah, and you have to sleep in the game for five days straight. Or I guess you're you're supposed to just waste your time for five days because there's not a lot. There's not enough side quests to keep you doing things for five mm, days. Yes, there's probably not even enough plot to keep you going for five days. No. Okay. This is a <laughs> huge. You're you're a hundred percent right, and this is a huge problem with this game. Is that in addition to the you know, time of day like aspect that we're familiar with from the first game. They added days of the week. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, it doesn't work because there's not enough to do. I mean, when I got hit with that quest, I had already completed basically every side quest that I was able to complete. I had nothing left to do. So I went around and I like unlocked all the fast travel points. And then it was like, Okay, well it's four PM on Wednesday. I am yeah. now going I am now going to send York to sleep for an entire week, which is what I did. God, that sounds great. I wish I could but do that. Even better, even better than that. This is great too. Cause the even the time of day stuff, which we are already familiar with, is fucked in this game. Cause like before you do that, before you send York into cryo sleep, which I agree sounds fan fucking tastic <laughs> right now. Uh, before you do that, you have to fix the shower because when you wake up, you'll be like super gross and dirty, you know. <laughs> and so that quest is basically predicated around you noticing that certain a certain character in the hotel is in a different place in a different role uh, at different yeah. times of day, right? So I was trying to catch what it was, but it like wasn't consistent. Like it was obviously glitched. And then I tried just going to sleep and I woke up on a Thursday and he was just everywhere at once. So it's like one guy who was (laughs) teleporting from room to room and I was able to solve the quest in like five minutes. But the quest is literally that you're supposed to go and talk to this character a certain time of day, then go inspect a valve, go back, have the guy tell you it's wrong and you have to talk to the other guy. Then you go talk to the other guy go back inspect the different valve it's the worst like <laughs> who does that sound fun to well that that does sound like the uh the squirrel key thing in deadly premonition one where you have to keep bringing thomas keys 
Well, yeah, and but like, again, it's like they're emulating the dumb, the bad stuff from the first game, right? And even that quest, which is dumb, I'm not about to get up here and say that it's divine, like that crazy, totally cuckoo thing piece that you posted, James. I don't remember which art, which website it's from, but the dude's like, "Deadly Premonition Two is exactly the way it's supposed to be, and it's perfect." <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> You need to go see help for your ketamine addiction. You're clearly in a bad place. Um, but like that quest had a lot of charming dialogue. It had a sort of like fun frame story. And you were talking to Thomas, who's like a very likable character that sticks with you through the whole story. So it's like, yeah. it's not good game design, but it has like redeeming qualities. This part, it's like, there's like none of the stuff I'm talking about is voice acted. None of it is particularly like witty or well written. Like it's a good David Jawara, the character we're talking about. It's a great character. He's maybe like my favorite character in the game. But like this particular quest is not about him. It doesn't have anything interesting going for it, and it's mm-hmm. just it's just a slog. Yeah, it's not fun. It really just feels like homework. Like so much of this game just feels like busy work in between the story sections. Yes. And I, you know, I guess that's really what, like, side quests boil down to. But there's nothing really rewarding about them. All you get is, like, basically stuff to craft charms. You don't really get... Like, you could just go around town killing dogs and get basically the rewards from these quests. Yeah. And then another thing this game does is it kind of, like, forces you to do side quests to advance the main quest. Yes. Which is something that the first game never did, and it's uh, pretty painful here. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because, okay, so as listeners of the show will know, uh, I've been, we've we've kind of been together, but especially me alone on this journey of just playing all these fucking mono-genre games lately, like all these big action-adventure games that are all like mm. all about quest structure and side quests and maps and blah, blah, blah. That's what happens and when you buy a PlayStation, man. I, I bought the goddamn PlayStation. Welcome to the next level. Yes, here, here I am. But <laughs> so I've gotten really familiar with these games and it's funny because I think the original Deadly Premonition, once again, I don't know, probably by accident, maybe by design, it, it has actually a pretty good handle on what makes those games good, which is that they're big and expansive if you want to explore them and they're also very linear if you want to just skip to the end. So if you get like, you know, I played Spider-Man and I'm playing Days Gone right now, like those games, if you want to just blow through them and only do the story missions and stuff, they're pretty compact for what they are, like 30 hour game, right? Maybe less for some of these games, but it gives you that option to explore and dive into it. That's how the original game was, where like, if you wanted to blow through it, it's a relatively compact game, but if you want to really dive in and explore, you're not only rewarded with story and characterization, but you're also rewarded with like a lot of stuff to do. I think sure, this yeah. game's like the worst of both worlds, where it forces you to explore and do side quests, but it's also very empty. There isn't much to do, and the rewards for doing the side quests in a story or world-building way are essentially non-existent. I think it does it in a good and bad way, because... I would say in the first game, like, you never even have to play darts. But in the second game, it introduces you to the bowling minigame by including that in one of the main quests. But then you never have to bowl again, right? Um, But then later on, it forces you to do stone skipping, and it forces you to do some, like, airboat bullshit. 
So, like, it it's not optional at that point. It, like, forces you to do it. So, I don't know. It's, it's just a double-edged sword because you would hope that a game's main quest introduces you to a bunch of optional things you can do through the game. Right. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. Yes. Yeah. I, and I just feel like, once again, this game it both forces you to do optional content, but then just gives you so little optional content and to do, and what's there is just so blasé. Like, mm. I really don't see a reason why you'd want to do it. And that's the big problem with this game, ultimately. I mean, what I would like to see from a director's cut is them adding a bunch of new side quests, more slice-of-life stuff to do in the town uh, between these big story chunks. Because I spent so much time in Chapter 1 just, like, doing the interesting side stuff, and then the only things that were left in Chapters 2 and 3 were the boring things, like shoot 30 bees, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And it's like, once again, it's so bland and it's just so boring that like you didn't need a mission to do it. Like I didn't need to go talk to a character to, to get that task, you know? And that's, that's another thing too. So like, that's a problem. Like I talked about it in another episode, maybe the last episode, I don't know. But like with that Spider-Man game is that there's so much side content that a lot of it is just super fucking boring. And like, it's just like, I didn't need to get a prompt to do this even. Like if you wanted this to be in the game, just let me go and do it. Don't make me watch mm-hmm. a cutscene or pause to do this because it's not worth it. Like it's just bad, you know? I wouldn't mind them adding one or two more NPCs too or a couple more buildings to go in. Because when I think about Deadly Premonition 1 and I think of the cast, you know, I think about like, you know, the milk barn people and the gun store owner and things like that. And the cast is so pared down, not only just because of like David Jawara, but just because the the, the city is so small and there are so few places to go in. Yeah. You you only meet one employee of the police station. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, versus in the first game, you'd have like breakfast with like four of them. Yeah. So yeah, th- I think th- you could expand the number of minor characters and not mess with the plot at all. And yes. I think that would be a really cool to do for like a director's cut. Well, and that's that's the thing though is like you're just you're asking for something so different than what we got. Yeah. I think that's yeah, the. I know. The problem with this game that I'm going to keep coming back to is like, yes, if they actually rehab this game fully, we get like a new fucking game. Like, yeah, I'll try it. (laughs) But I also know what it is and I know that it sucks. And like, there's just so much in it that's not good. I totally agree that the first game's charm came from its huge cast and the way that it created such a vibe, right? Like it really Mm -hmm. let you feel like you were in this small town and really learning about this small town. I think that in this game, if they wanted to do that, it would have been more important or more beneficial to just ditch the open world stuff, ditch the combat stuff and just focus on making like a story 
that's good Mm. and i feel like that's where this game feels most disappointing is that it's just it's taking not a lot of content and not a lot of ideas and then stretching it so so thin over this just janky broken game you know yeah yeah it's it's taking the no, because it feels like it's almost two different games. You know, when you're in an investigation versus when you're walking around the open world. Yeah. I mean, the open world is very, like, 2008 and broken. Right. It reminds me of, like, the Earth Defense Force games. Yeah. Like, after you've killed all the bad guys and you're just, like, running around this big empty city. Yeah. Uh, it's so empty. It's so ugly. It's so copy-paste. Yes. Um. I know. I mean, Greenvale was pretty copy va- copy paste too, but it's also very like flat. There's no verticality to it, mm-hmm. um, which makes it look very like I don't know, just very cookie cutter, um, low effort. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that Greenvale is almost like a master class in actually managed to make managing to make something that feels more vibrant than it is. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like. I don't know if I'd agree with that. No, I think with how little there actually is in the game, but how much space they managed to like fill out. I don't know. I, I thought they actually did a good job with that. Like it is very, I, I feel em- like with Greenville, there's a bunch of wasted space. Oh yeah. But I do feel like it's cool that like you go from like, you know, like the street with the diner, like a main street to like the little suburbs and things like that. And I think deadly premonition two gets that. The map in Deadly Premonition 2 could work, but it's too ugly to work. It's too ugly, and it's it's funny that like the game is so janky and broken that like you end up fast traveling to shit that's like down the street just because yeah, you don't totally. even want to walk. But it's also like not any faster because like on top of all the other technical issues in this game we've touched on, the load times are just like wild. And Half the game is loading. And they're also, you know, I don't even know if they're that long. They just feel long because they're terrifying because you know the game is going to crash. You <laughs> they're know. Long. They're super fucking long. But they feel even longer is what I'm yeah. trying to say. <laughs> like, because you're just so like, you're just, your whole body is tense. Yeah. You know, you're just like screaming inside. Yeah. But, this game feels like it's perpetually going to crash. Yes, at every moment. And and it flatlines so constantly. Like every 5 mm-hmm. seconds the frame rate goes to zero that you're like you're you're <laughs> you know, you just keep getting that lump caught in your throat. They're like fuck, fuck, fuck. So yeah, save a lot. Um ABS always be saving. Always be saving. Um but yeah, I just I just feel like with Greenvale it it was just more i don't know like i said i I keep coming back because it had a vibe it created an atmosphere even though it's not good design and it has lots of problems you can pick apart it created an atmosphere and i feel like especially at that time like knowing the game is from 2010 but really is more like a 2006 game or whenever it started development (laughs) you know because i think it started development in 2005 or 2006 right maybe even earlier well i think they showed off rainy woods in 07 yeah so if we assume that it's started development in 05 or 06 or something, it's like knowing it's a game of that era and seeing what they did with the tools and the ideas that were prevalent in that era. It's like, oh, okay, I get this. Playing this game now, it's just like, why? Why did you do well, this? The performance is just like sheer incompetence. It's a Unity engine game. I bet this game works fine on their workstation PCs that they built yeah. it on. And the the most frustrating thing is is that Rising Star Games is saying that this is going to be a Switch exclusive. 
And really, the the weird thing about it is it feels like a shitty port because it really is. If it's built in Unity, it's a PC game. So they're just like porting a PC game that's not going to be released on PC. Yeah, well, and someone asked me today in the Discord, they're like, should I should I buy this game? And I was like, no, because it's not playable right now. You have to wait for them to fix it anyway. So mm. you may as well wait to see if they also do eventually release it on PC, because, like, they're going to have to overhaul this game so heavily anyway that it's like, might as well, you know, and they might just end up doing that. Just releasing it on PC might even just feel like an overhaul. Yeah, because you know I don't I don't know what the feeling, what the shooting would feel like, what the skating would feel like, with a solid frame rate, because you just don't experience it in the game. But you know, here's another thing: uh, Rising Star Games. Uh, you may be familiar with their work from uh, another game they released, which is the PC port of the original Deadly Premonition. Yep. So let's not get our hopes up for some PC version that fixes everything. Yeah. Well, it's Unity, and the thing about that is that. Uh, experienced Unity devs could probably fix it for them. Oh, sure. Sure. (laughs) It'd be easy to look at the code and figure it out. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. That's... You you have to wait for now. Don't try and play this game now. Especially for $50, man. Jesus H. I can't The original game came out at 20? Yeah, 20 or 30, I think. I was shocked when I saw that, because I thought it would be, like, 30 or 40. I was like... 50 it's like they know it's not worth 60 but they still want me to pay 50 like (laughs) excuse me sir i think uh, i'm sure that's nintendo tax too if this was on steam it'd probably be 30 maybe who knows i i don't know i'm not i'm not giving these guys any any benny of the d as we say they're i'm not cutting them any slack no benefit of the doubt i don't trust these motherfuckers because this this shit was egregious yeah, it's really sad. Well, because there is good stuff here. Like, I'm not going to dog on the game completely, because there is good stuff here. I mean, it makes a pretty good first impression, and it's, you know, the characters are so charming. The intro uh, is is all right. I said that. Which was oh, great. I love lot, the whole yeah. Aaliyah and Pizza Guy thing. I didn't like that stuff, actually. So, okay, no, well, let's, no. well, hold on. Let's talk about the story initially in a non-spoilery way, answer some questions, and then we can maybe get spoilery later. Okay. Um, okay, so the setup of this game is that it's both a sequel and a prequel to the original Deadly Premonition. Yep. It has sections that take place in 2019 that are just like a point-and-click visual novel adventure game or something. Interrogation, yeah, detective-y stuff. So it's literally just this detective, uh, Aaliyah, and her friend Pizza Guy, I don't remember his name, uh, her coworker, who's an FBI guy who's obsessed with pizza, go to visit old York, who is in his mm-hmm. 40s and has cancer, but also looks like he's 100 and made of stone, which is an interesting creative choice. He Old York has to be based on John Carpenter, right? Like, has to be? <laughs> I feel like he's just based on a really weird drawing someone made when they were, like, wasted, and someone else at the company was like, that's it. That's the he's guy. got like a weird egghead now and like his receding airline. I don't know. He looks like seven year old Jared Carpenter to me, but he's like 45 year old York. Yeah. So they go to see him in his apartment and they start asking him questions about this case in uh, Lucare, Louisiana. Uh, the square in 2005 and they also ask him some questions about greenville but basically they go in this fbi agent is like very aggressive with him and she thinks that he was like kind of the 
perpetrator of the crimes that mm. that happened in these two cases, which is an interesting setup. Um, sure, yeah. And well, then, it's very true detective season one. Right. Like it's, it's a dejected old man being interviewed by some young hot shit lieutenant uh, detectives. Yes, and instead of, uh, you know him like drinking a bunch of lone stars he like rolls up a bunch of spliffs of weed and like fantastic in these parts uh you basically are just pointing and clicking you can look at different things in the room and start different conversation prompts and then that's like the beginning of each chapter usually and then it flashes back to uh this case that happened in 2005 in louisiana Mm -hmm. and then you actually play the case so okay here's my problem with this big picture problems i had with the story and i want to say this stuff in a non-spoilery way before we get into more detailed stuff but like i don't think it has a good structure to it i think that without the framework of twin peaks it's just feels like exposition dump after exposition dump i think the 2019 stuff is really really stiff and has that feel almost as bad as the 2005 stuff like hmm. I just was not riveted. I didn't like the characters. I mean, I don't know. I just didn't care about the 2019 I like, stuff. I like the pizza guy, and Aaliyah is a hard ass, but at the same time, she loves Pink Floyd and prog rock. Yeah. So I got a thing for that. You know, that's cool. But she's um, so she, like one dimensional. I felt she's like. very one dimensional. Um, uh, I wish the these parts were more interactive. Yes. Like you, you can choose the order in which you talk to York or Zach exact, uh, about, but it doesn't give you a chance to get things wrong or like analyze things or like point out little details like like good detective games make you do. Yes. Um, but I would still, I, I still consider this compelling stuff. Um, you know, of course, Aaliyah is wooden, but uh, PS2 acting, you know? Yeah. Um, but okay. So after, besides that, then you flash back to 2005 and Mm -hmm. the story here has so many problems that it's kind of hard to know where to start, but I will kind of say again, what we said earlier, which is that there just aren't enough good characters to either flesh out the world or prop up the main storyline. Like Mm. the two best characters in the game are, and I don't really think this is up for debate. Number one, David Jawara, who runs the hotel, <laughs> he pretends to be different people in the hotel, but they're all named David Jawara. So there's like David Jawara in parentheses, concierge, David Jawara yeah. in parentheses, bellboy. And it's like, it's a really funny gag. He speaks with a different voice each time. Um, I don't know. It's good. And then, of course, there's Javier. Javier is a guy who runs a jazz bar. He's only ever wearing his underwear. He has a weird tick where he goes, (laughs) and he also plays in the house band at the bar and advertises his own name on the flyers as if he's a different person. Once again, it's really funny and it's really good. You forgot that he's not wearing anything. Oh, no, I said that. He only wears, oh. like, uh, tidy-whitey underwear. But, and then uh, Only because he's expressing his rights as an American. Yeah. That was the one time playing this game that I actually, like, laughed uncontrollably and was like, this <laughs> is the shit that I was looking for. 
Mm. Uh, but once again, David Jawara and Javier are not really a part of the main plot in the game. Like, I mean, I like some of the other characters. Um, well, I'm going blank now that I have to think <laughs> of the characters I like. Well, I'm not saying they're the only good characters in the game. I'm saying that when you look at the main plot, the characters who drive the main plot, who you see the yeah. story cutscenes about yeah. stuff, they're not interesting. Like, Patty's okay. You know, that's your your child sidekick mm-hmm. who also becomes more important to the plot later in the game. Like, she's okay. She's kind of like a young, sassy girl. Unfortunately, you some of the best conversations with her I never even got to hear the end of because the game kept cutting them off and then I just yeah. gave up. So there's like a relationship there that's obviously supposed to be built up as you're playing. Another problem, which the game should have just given you a fucking car and it would have solved it, is that like you have to switch between walking and skateboarding if you want to hear all the conversations. Right. But you like never have any reason to not just skateboard everywhere, basically. Mm-hmm when you're on the overworld so it's like it just really makes the game once again even slower and clunkier and it's like guess what the car was the perfect solution to this because just like in the original game if york's alone talks to himself if he has someone in the car he talks to them and mm-hmm. himself you know it's like oh it it sucks but you know the other thing too is then that a lot of the big plot points in the game despite not having the good structure of the original game are also just kind of recycled from the original game yeah, I do feel like most of the story hits have analogs from the first version yeah. of this game. Yeah, they just don't flow to me. And what ended up happening to me, once again, this is just my opinion, but like every cutscene just felt like an info dump. There was no wind up or structure. It was just these characters just kind of talking, and I was not invested. And I think also that's partially what kind of prejudiced me against the 2019 stuff because the 2005 mm-hmm. stuff was so just like blah 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 that when I got back to 2019 it just felt like more of that even though it's like probably mm-hmm. like a cut above you know yeah I, the the info dump cutscenes you're talking about yeah it there's a uh, main antagonist and when they talk um, there's a cutscene where they kind of like explain their whole plan it f- just feels so like Scooby-Doo, like, oh, you caught me, let me tell you my whole plan. Yeah. Or like, you know, James Bond, like the shitty James Bond movie or something. Yeah, or like the weird cutscene where a main character who you barely interacted with dies and his last words are just like, I know this about this other character and it's <laughs> super out of pocket and you're like, what? Like, who wrote this down, looked at yeah. it and said, that's great (laughs) like but you know so it's it just doesn't have the same feel like i mean when i think about the first silly premonition it was like they managed to sell so many weird plot points and cutscenes, even if it was just by going over the top like that whole bizarre ass scene where the the lady who runs art gallery is talking about the statue with like blood pouring out of her mouth like Uh i'm not gonna get out here and say that that's like fucking shakespeare but it does work right like yeah, well, I don't know. Does it? <laughs> and the whole the whole Thomas boss fight in part one. Yeah, and then the whole um, you know spoiler alert part one. The whole George fight with him going Super Saiyan. So that shit doesn't work for me, man. Well, totally. But I felt like this game was like that the whole time. Well, and it's so truncated, right? Like, yes, it's not it's not spread out with driving around and talking because the you know you're just gonna Uber to your next plot point after 
chapter two because all the all the good side quests are already done. So you're just yeah. going plot point to plot point. Yeah, and it does feel like more like info dump. Yeah, exactly. You don't live in the world. It doesn't stretch itself out. You don't have any investment in it. And yeah, also the characters like they're dealing with the um, the Clarkson family. Like, yeah, it's it's a very uninteresting group of people. You know, that's that's what I'm saying. Like when you when the story gets going and you realize that that's who you're dealing with, it's like very deflating totally like getting letting the air out of a balloon because you're like this is the rest of the story like fuck i super don't care about this like i want to go hang out with javier dude like yeah i'm like what is this duck dynasty shit yeah yeah classy duck <laughs> dynasty like yeah no well that one dude has a mullet that is just out of control but uh-huh. uh <laughs> anyway so you know the story has problems. I couldn't get into it. I was not invested in it. We'll talk more about it when it gets spoilery. But in a non-spoilery way, we have to talk about the problematic stuff in this game. Mm. And I'm sure there's some people who only clicked on this episode to hear us talk about this stuff. <laughs> Welcome. It only took us an hour. Here we are. So salient point number one. Deadly Premonition is not set up to tackle heavy real world issues this was true in the first game the first game's depiction of women and sexual assault is gross and it's bad it (laughs) it's bad and i think that the way that you know people like us kind of pushed through it and we did talk about it in those episodes we talked about it's bad and we talked about how thomas is kind of like a really bad representation of like a closeted trans person in a way. Mm -hmm. And there's Mm -hmm. all sorts of problematic shit in that game, but you sort of look at it and you're like, well, it's 2005. It's from Japan. (laughs) We, we are giving some allowance for history, right? And maybe trying to understand the headspace that someone would be in the argument that I made. And I'm not saying this is the correct argument. I'm not saying this is how people should think because I actually don't really think it is, but I'm just saying what happens because we're human and we're in our fucking thirties, you know, and we're into this shit. I think your head goes, there has to be some allowance for history. This is a place in time that was made. I'm going to give it the Benny of the D here and say, (laughs) this was not meant in a hateful way. This was not meant in a way that was, you know, supposed to demean women or demean queer people. It it was just sloppy. It was mostly just sloppy tracing off of David Lynch, who is another Mm -hmm. problematic fave that we all have all these fucking conversations about constantly. Does David Lynch hate women? What is David Lynch's deal (laughs) with trans people? What is going on here? Like these are all these same conversations. So it felt more innocent in a way, partially because it is literally just imported from Twin Peaks right sure so in this game though it just feels worse to me and i'll try to talk about why but a lot of it is just like it's real like bone deep kind of shit where you're just like i don't like that and knowing that deadly premonition is not set up to handle these heavy issues you have to wonder why they are tackled in this game well, it's it's not a good look if your game feels antiquated and it came out last week. Yes. <laughs> well, sorry. Yes. No, I agree 100%. And there's two big things the game tries to touch on. The big one I want to talk about second. But the first one is race. Right? So this game 
It's set in the quote-unquote deep south. You will know that because the game will tell you that approximately 682 times. <laughs> you will know. Also, side note, I felt like the them saying it's in the Deep South and them saying it's a small town were just like a lazy way to try and reinforce that without actually like making the game feel that way. <laughs> and I got so tired of it. Anyway, you are in the Deep South. Racism exists like black people exist in this Mm -hmm. game and they're supposed to exist in the way that they exist in the real world we know this because the game tries to touch on racism yet Mm -hmm. the story and the setting are even more cartoony than the first game sure so why (laughs) (laughs) and like the thing is okay so one thing that came up right away uh was people were saying this game is racist because York does an accent that could be construed as racist, right? It does like a Caribbean sort of a impersonation. Yes. So here's the thing. This game has like a sort of, I'm just cringing knowing that I have to say this right now. So please just know that I'm <laughs> cringing along with you hearing my stupid voice uttering these words. York has like a spirit guide who is like a cartoon version of Baron Samity from that one James Bond movie. He's like a Haitian voodoo target candle cartoon. Mm -hmm. And he talks in a Caribbean accent. And York, of course, he takes it upon himself to do the accent of the Caribbean cartoon (laughs) man every time he repeats a line of his dialogue. And guess what? Everything about that is bad. It's just cringy. Um, yes. Well, uh, problem number one: Why does he have a Caribbean accent, and not a Cajun accent? Like, get your shit together. Problem number zero: His whole design. <laughs> yeah, he. Hoongan's design came straight from fucking Party City, man. Like, yeah, there's nothing like authentic Cajun, Haitian, voodoo, anything about Hoongan at all. Yeah. Like, and really, the, him being included in the game takes away from, like, York's psychic love with coffee. So I think just even having Hoon Gun in the game is a big negative. Yeah, but, like, the first time he pops on screen, it's like, whoa, you know? It's like, no. And so it's like the game tries to cop this, like, quote-unquote voodoo stuff, and it's, like, super bad. It really is. Like, even Hoongan's, like, design, he looks like a Mexican sugar skull. Yeah. And, like, not like voodoo. <laughs> well, he literally looks like Baron Samity from the James Bond movie, which is, like, a racist white depiction of a voodoo priest. That And it's like, why? Like, why did you take that? It's, it's in the same way as saying, like, oh, like, you know, uh, True Detective was our inspiration, but then it's literally just that it's in Louisiana, I guess. <laughs> okay, I, I did have to look it up, and yeah, he does look like Baron Samity. Yeah, if you don't know who Baron Samity is, <laughs> like, yeah. But so the other thing, though, is then, like, that's bad, but then the game also decides to toss in, like, a couple lines from Melvin, who's, like, the sheriff in town and who's a mm-hmm. black guy. They decide to toss in a couple lines that are, like, yeah, like, racism is real and, like, the Clarksons don't like me because I'm black. And it's just weird because, once again, it grounds it in the real world, 
Mm -hmm. but the game doesn't address it. The game doesn't have anything to say about it, and it doesn't have any reason to do that except to make Melvin feel like a token. Mm. Now, in and of itself, I don't think the character of Melvin is so bad to make me say he's a token or to make me feel strongly about that, but the other character that plays into a somewhat tangential issue is that way and it made me feel bad about all of this stuff because the other Mm. big thing in this game that you may have heard about is that it's transphobic yeah well and it's not just that it's transphobic is that like (laughs) it tries real hard to handle it well and then it just punches itself in the face like in the next scene Yes, and I'm going to argue that the deeper issue with the writing of this character makes it so that this character literally is a token. I mean, if you want to know what I think, you can go listen to the Zero Brightness Plus episode we did on representation in media and video games, and we kind of make a list, me and James make a little list of things we think writers should do if they're not from a certain culture, but they want to incorporate that culture into their work. Mm. This game is like if someone listened to that episode, took notes, and then did the exact opposite of everything (laughs) we said. Like, I know that didn't really happen, but it felt that way to a point where I was, like, sweating. I was like, this can't be real. Like, I literally put this energy (laughs) out into the universe to not do this. But, okay, let's talk about it. So there's a character in the game who is a trans woman. Mm -hmm. The first time you hear about this character is another character saying that they basically hate trans people, right? Yes. And and it's repeated. It's very like it's very forcefully said that their transphobia exists in this game. Once again, it's weird. It's like when they make a point to say racism exists in this game, right? Cuz then you're like, okay, now we're doing this. So then in that scene, York gives this long monologue about why that's bad. And Mm -hmm. he gets really worked up and angry. And he's basically like, it's wrong to hate trans people. Transphobia is wrong, right? Yeah. You're like, wow, okay, that's cool. Yeah, he was like pretty stern and direct about it. Like, you generally don't see York get that authoritative. Right. But he was basically like, get that shit out of here. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So then, the next time this character is addressed is your character you know, is York meeting with said character and literally five minutes later, five minutes of gameplay later, literally five minutes later. And they basically have this tense conversation in which York aggressively drops this character's dead name (laughs) and then does like a shitty smirk. Like, gotcha. Gotcha. I was like in disbelief. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's so cringy. And if you don't know what that is, dead naming is when you use the name and identity of a, tr- a trans person that they had before they transitioned. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much only done in like a hateful way. Right. And yeah. so York does it to this character. Right. And it's like pretty shocking because then a bunch of other characters do it too. Mm-hmm. And it's written into the story and the character that we're talking about never objects to it or comments on it. It just like right. happens. Mm-hmm. And there's an even bigger problem with the story is that from that point on for the entire rest of the game, 
the characters in the game go back and forth on how they refer to this character like yeah their name their gender all sorts of stuff like that so they well, jumps back and forth if they talk about that character pre or post transition right and from what i understand you shouldn't really ever mention trans people after they transition pre-transition it's just like insulting if you do that because they now recognize themselves as what they transitioned into yeah that's who they are and yeah. like so it's bad and it's even worse because it's written into the fabric of the story that what this character did before they transition is very central to the plot yes and the game keeps commenting on it and keeps mentioning that like oh like they were a, a man with this specific name they undertook these actions they like one of the la later scenes in the game they're like oh like her own brother and it's like dude yeah. fucking come on it's so basic to not do this shit okay well so that stuff can be fixed though with rewrites but there are some other things that are so ingrained into the plot that i don't think they can fix with rewrites like painting trans people as like sexual deviants like you know that's been like a long history of prejudice yeah that's cooked into the plot here and i don't think you can write that out of the plot like you can write all like you know the the dead naming and all that other you know negative connotation stuff out of the plot but like this is so integral to the plot that i don't know how you're going to write that out or write around it well you're correct and that's not the only thing that rhetoric goes even further when york literally says this character is corrupting all the innocent little girls in town which is mm. the exact same rhetoric when he said that i almost fucking spit dude i was like what <laughs> in the fuck that was crazy well he says it in the context of her being uh, a drug dealer and manufacturer right but it's like yeah. the way that it's written yeah, where it's like totally. holy shit but even more than that another thing is that so when you go to confront this character uh in the other world they emerge from a cocoon as this very masculine figure and then york makes some kind of weird comment about like this is the the true form you wanted to become and i don't know man it struck me a real bad way it's like a weird androgynous dragonfly but yeah it is more masculine looking than her than yeah. her um like traditional look and just like the comment york makes mixed with like the imagery of like emerging from this cocoon and all this shit mm. i'm just like dude it's not good <laughs> like it's not good and it's it's just funny because it's like i'm not even claiming to be the expert on this i'm not yeah. the authority mm. at all i'm a fucking you know cis straight dude i'm whatever the opposite of an authority is but like I pay attention to this stuff, just asking questions and trying to pick up on some of the stuff and some of the things that like would not seem acceptable just because I'm that same way about like my own race and that kind of mm -hmm. shit. This all struck me as like, this is fucking unacceptable. Like, well, it's not good. I, I will have to give Sweary credit for coming out on Twitter and, and taking all the responsibility for it. And he says yeah. he's gonna, he's gonna fix it. He, he, uh, he, 
clearly didn't realize, you know, what he was doing and he owned up to it. And I mean, you got to give people credit to learn and do better. So yeah, I give him props for that. I was glad to see that, but I have, you know, I have questions where it's like, why does Swery continually feel the need to comment on this? Cause it seems like between Thomas and what I've heard about the missing and now well, Thomas and Delhi Premonition, mm. what I've heard about the missing, and now this game, it's like, why do you feel the need to comment on this? Why do you feel the need to comment on this when you don't have something strong and positive to say or meaningful to say? And it's not your experience. I don't well, get it. So it Sweary is clearly inspired by other artists, right? Yeah. He's, he made a career out of ripping off Twin Peaks. Uh-huh. And, and there's a long history of trans women being the villain in horror. Yeah. You know, all, even going all the way back to like uh, Alfred Hitchcock psycho. Right. Um. So I think he might just be like playing with the trope. I don't know. Yeah. But it's not a very cool look. No. And it's also like what we talked about in that representation episode, which I definitely urge everyone who hasn't listened to it to listen to if you want more thoughts on this topic from us Mm -hmm. i mean if people who aren't from a certain minority group want to put someone from that group in their game the best thing you can do is put them in the game and make their identity not the sole focus of their writing and characterization Mm. and i felt like in this game with that character that we're talking about that was like really the sole focus of who she is to the plot even to the point like we we're talking about where like what she did in, in her past and then how and why she you know changed and became this other person is like the only thing that matters about her she's only she's also like only in the game for like a short amount of time and it's then just like referenced for the rest of the game yeah um so it just felt really unfair but it's like a similar thing with melvin where it's like you put him in the game and then you felt the need to like make this comment on his race and then it kept coming back to that every monologue he has he mentions something about race and it's like don't do that don't put a black person in your game just to make everything about them being black don't put a trans person in your game just to make everything about them being trans like put them in your game and just make them a fucking character like that's what i want to see i got less like tokenization feels from melvin than i did her like uh, her, I feel like her entire existence in the game is because of organization or like using that as a plot twist. Oh yeah. Um, but a lot of the main characters are, or a lot of the minor characters are black, you know, uh, the four Jawaras and his wife, Melvin, Javier or Xavier. Yeah. Um, Alexis, but yeah, there's, but I mean, that's Louisiana. Like Louisiana yeah. is like super black and just like, the, the, people get this misconception about the South. Uh, like, of course, like racism exists, but people have no choice but to intermingle in the South. And Louisiana is like that. It's like, yeah. you can't not interact with people of other races on a daily basis. You know, there's black people, there's Vietnamese people, you know, there's all the old Cajun rednecks, you know, and they, they co-mingle and they co- live with each other. And I think... This this game's cast of minor characters kind of like shows that, you know. Yeah, it was cool to see so many black people, black minor characters in this game. Honestly, I do like Melvin though. Melvin's endearing and he's a total nerd. 
and he's like a movie nerd unlike yeah. york but in a different way and he's like a rad dad too yeah like, you know besides like spoilery bad plot points and whatever but like he plays this kind of like nerdy rad dad character in the first two chapters you know yeah which i appreciated yes but okay so let's get spoilery then let's uh let's talk about how this game goes off the fucking rails right (laughs) welcome to the spoiler zone now there are spoilers so like the first okay so the first thing that happens is in chapter two uh well you get the setup of the town whatever you're in the small town you're investigating the death of like the youngest member of this clarkson family they're Mm -hmm. like the old money southern villains who own the town right yep we saw true detective yeah exactly so youngest daughter dies then her mom goes crazy dies uh there's like this weird ritualistic murder stuff they're introducing sort of like true detective but not interesting like in true detective (laughs) uh and then chapter two you find out that it's all kind of connected to this drug that york has been tracking down called saint rouge right imagine that and so and they're like red seeds so everyone who's played the first game is like oh you know and whatever (laughs) uh so he starts tracking that he finds out this character named professor r aka Mm. helena domin aka lena dunham uh (laughs) is is making this drug she manufactures it and moves it and it moves it through the jazz club of course because jazz is drugs yes um so then you go you confront her and then that's when you learn all this stuff about her she goes to her family and like murders her dad as he's dying he's like i know you i know you had sex with your sister which is like excuse me what (laughs) um that death scene by the way hilarious yeah she she blows up a bomb and it blows up their bodies and but it doesn't like blow up any of the furniture in the room or anything and just leaves some like black spots around the room except that their heads get blown clean off and are stuck up on the chandelier fully intact Uh so we can't can't forget that's like some thomas level physics like when thomas impales himself (laughs) somehow on the fucking hook anyway so after that york york just like leaves and and you know is like whatever and so melvin and (laughs) his wife candy who you haven't really seen in the game uh you you have but you don't know that you have you know Mm -hmm. um they go missing they're your young sidekick patty's parents so you're like patty i'll find and rescue your parents so then you know chapter three horrible long chase sequence terrible terrible game stuff goes on and you finally get to the boathouse you you find candy who's this like 600 pound like crazed woman (laughs) who's like pumped full of drugs and like hooked up to a bunch of machines uh, in the first cutscene you're certain she makes baby noises for some reason um, but then the second she doesn't make any noises uh, except for like screaming and you find out that she's this like goddess of fertility quote unquote that they're all obsessed with mm-hmm. and like she's just this weird like baby machine hooked up to like a bunch of drugs and you find out that it's Melvin her husband and Patty's dad who imprisoned her and he's like a psycho cultist 
because mm-hmm. he was in love with Lena Dunham. And like it, the, all that transphobic stuff he said earlier was like a feint to like get you off his trail. Cause actually he's in love with her and like, uh-huh. and then like, he's going to kill his wife and then he's going to like have sex with his daughter. It's kind of suggested. I don't know. Maybe I read that wrong, but I was like, excuse me. What? Regardless. It's like the worst twist ever. It's because it's, it's like yeah. Steve Urkel is the fucking villain now. Come <laughs> yeah. the fuck on, man. Well, and it's also bad because once again, there's no wind up. Like when I got to the end of chapter two, where Lena Dunham spills her guts and just says a bunch of shit. <laughs> and then her dad spills his guts and says a bunch of shit. I was like, okay, I have no idea what this pacing or storyline is. But then when you get to that quote unquote twist, it's like, okay, now I really have no idea because there was no wind up. There was no suggestion of this. There's nothing like leading up to this. Yeah. And they just drop that We've in your entered lap. full anime. But that's not all, folks, because then you get to chapter four and it's literally just like the worst anime of all time. They basically try to pin another twist in there, which is that like it was Avery all along. We haven't like, talked about Avery yet. No. Talk so about he's like, problematic characters. Yeah. So there's a bit character <laughs> in chapter one who's like a quote unquote gentle giant a la um, Sling Blade. Well, I was thinking of the Steinbeck novel with with Lenny, you know, with the look at all the rabbits. Come on, help me out here. He even says, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. Do you know the book I'm talking about, though? No. Uh, I ain't reading no books, boy. (laughs) Think I is. I'm from the the deep south. You live in the south and you don't read Steinbeck. Wow. I'm sorry for calling you boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna get you back for that one. Well, I didn't call you boy, I called you boy. <laughs> Whatever cracker. Of mice and men. Of mice and men. Mm. Okay, so he's like an of mice and men style, quote unquote gentle giant, very outdated trope for like a person with a mental disability who's yeah. like big and strong, but has the quote unquote mind of a child. Once again, I'm cringing along with you, listener. Um mm-hmm. Turns out he did it all along, so he has to go and fight him. <laughs> Except now he's an anime villain with a multi-form boss battle. Yeah, now he, now he's the T virus. <laughs> yeah, so he starts off as William Birkin, and then he morphs into literally a gigantic forty-foot-tall child. Uh, and this is the boss fight where he stomps on you and makes a rah, 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 noise that got looped for me, so it went on for a minute, and I was ready to lose my goddamn mind. Um, but then that's not all because then it turns out that York turns into a monster (laughs) and, but you don't even have to play that, right? The whole York monster thing. It's like kind of interactive, but not really. It's like they planned on doing it, but they couldn't program it. Yeah. I'm getting this out of order. This scene is like an hour long. It's so Mm -hmm. out of control, but I wasn't able to experience this. I had to watch the YouTube video. It's just as bad. I'm sure. But like, wait to play it. So basically, Kaysen comes back. So Kaysen's back. And he's like, York, become my monster and I'll free Patty. Because Patty's tied up there because Avery kidnapped her. Because uh, there's this whole storyline about him being in love with like the first girl who was murdered. But it's so undercooked that you're just mm-hmm. like, what in God's name is going on? Mm-hmm. So 
uh Kaysen shows up and he's like all free patty if you become my monster york's like okay except and then he has to like fight Aaliyah. yeah or no no so then what happens is that York, because you're playing a Zach in the future. Sorry. Yeah. Zach and York merge, and so you're young York again. Oh my god, yeah. It's like Dragon Ball Z or something. It's like within the span of two minutes, he goes from being a gigantic tree monster to being his old self from the first game. And then like he has to fight Aaliyah, the lady who was questioning him earlier, in the worst battle of all time. It's a so, fucking mess. Everything about this is a mess. So in this battle, Aaliyah is shooting at you while Kaysen stands behind her. But then he does these weird, really horrible, glitchy animations where he like flies around her and like swims through the air really fast. Yeah. While constantly yelling something like, aim carefully, sister. And it's like so horrible. Is he calling her sister? I think so, which is also bad and problematic. Because she's black, and it's like, once again, this game's relationship with race just should have never begun. Um, But anyway, so you have to do that, and it's horrible. But then you win, and there's like a really long cutscene, and York, who had terminal cancer, suddenly doesn't have terminal cancer, and then he Skype calls Patricia, and that's the end of the game. (laughs) It's the worst. That was like getting like chapter four, like put into a blender and poured out onto my face. I said that this game felt like you took the first game, you broke it into little chunks, mixed it with gravel, and then had it aggressively poured over the top of your head. I mean, I'm still butthurt that I didn't get to finish it because I I don't feel like I can give it like a full review, you know, but at least we can talk about these like impressions and insights, you know? It's, and yeah, chapter four yeah. is a fucking mess. But the end of Deadly Premonition one was an absolute fucking mess too. So it, it it is on brand. But it's worse. Like I'm not gonna argue with certain things about it being on brand. But it Dude, is that George like fight. I like again. I can't say because like when you fight giant baby Avery, that seems kind of cool. But like also, I didn't play it. So like, what the fuck do I know? It's horrible. Well, it's so. Like, you literally have to go and bait him into attacking you because when he attacks you, he moves his hands and you can shoot his, like, disc man he's always wearing. Oh, yeah. And that's how you beat him. But, like I said, the animations are really... The sound and the animation are really buggy and weird. So, like, you keep having to bait him but then keep having to listen to, like, horrible noises. It's... Man, it sucks. Everything oh. takes forever. And in the middle of my playthrough of the next phase, that's when all my bullets disappeared. Oh, God. And I had to try to beat the boss by just doing these weird, like, QTEs. <laughs> which, oh, like, yeah, they had to bring back some QTEs for the Aaliyah fight. Mm. And it's like, man, it sucks so bad. Like, I just, I can't impress upon you, like, <laughs> how she... Because, like, with Delhi Premonition 1... There was so much good stuff and so much stuff to love that, like, when you got to the shitty parts, you sort of gave it a pass. And even, Mm. like, the the epilogue of that game is cool. Like, when he goes back to town and he, like, sees them in the forest, then he can just, like, wander around town and still do side quests and stuff. Like, that game ended ended on a high note. This game just ends on, like, a wet fart. It's so... 
it's and that's the thing is like i said i mean i'm willing to come back to this game when they fix it and dabble but like i know they're not going to fix all this shit i'm talking about there's too much there's too much to fix yeah. it's too much it's too much bottom line yeah i really feel like this game needs another year in development <laughs> This is not going to happen. I mean, it needed rewrites. It needed another year of development. It needed. It just should. And you know, the thing that's disappointing is that like, Swery has been working on this the Good Life game forever that looks cool, and like, he's done cool projects that looked better than this. It's like, why did you come back and do this? Why did you put your energy into making it when this is what you were going to make? Like, it does have good stuff though. Like the game starts strong, the characters are endearing. I mean, I can't tell Deadly Premonition diehards to not play this game. One, they're just not going to listen. And two, I do think there's enough stuff for people to enjoy. But don't play it. I wouldn't say play it for fifty dollars in its current state. Um, that's just a bad call. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, it really I'm needs a fucking PC version. Like, I'm purely camp. Skip it. Don't play it. Go play the really? first one again. I mean, I think, like I said, this actually kind of lowered my opinion of the first game. <laughs> like, it's so bad that it retroactively make, made me like the first game just a little bit less. And I, I hated it. I thought it was painful and offensive and empty. Those were its three speeds. It was like a like a manual transmission car, and it was shifting <laughs> painful, between offensive and empty. <laughs> painful, offensive, and empty. And the actual act of physically playing it is repulsive. The act of looking at it is much the same. And uh, the marriage of those two horribly broken systems is almost impressive in how bad it is. This game is utter garbage. Skip it. Uh, zero out of five, or what? Oh, I'll give a number score for the first time. Zero. <laughs> zero out of whatever. Doesn't matter. Fucking zero. So, I think in my Deadly Premonition 1 review, I gave it a 1 and a 5 at the same time. Yeah. I think this one's going to be a 0 and a 4 at the same time. <laughs> That's very but democratic of you. I'm, uh, it's hard for me to say, though, because I still haven't finished the game. I'm, wa- I'm hoping they patch it so I don't have to start over. Well, I don't, if I had to start over, I don't know if I would. That, well, point. that's what I was saying, and like repeatedly in the Discord is like it takes a dive, and the depths to which it dives are so impressive that like I keep saying on here lately that I don't think people need to totally finish games to have an opinion on them or like whatever, but like you do kind of with this game because like the the story in Chapter Four is bad, right? Like it's mm. really bad, but the fact that it's interspersed between the longest dungeon in the game that doesn't have save points and glitchy boss fights and mm-hmm. all this other shit like you truly feel like you are locked in hell like it is truly <laughs> an obscenity you know all right so maybe we'll give it a full review once sweary patches the story and it gets some performance patches i don't know but, but my question is i don't think that's gonna happen but sorry right. continue. We'll, we'll see we'll see um my question is what would you want like, if you could, like, have things fixed in this game, is it fixable? What would you want to see? I don't think it's fixable. Like I said, I think... You'd have to dis- retcon the whole plot? Yes. I think the... Pl- I don't like the plot. I don't like the, mis- the, the mission structure, the way the game is set up. I don't like anything about this game. I think you can patch stuff and make it better than it is, but 
that's not saying much mm. you know what i mean i mean i like the setting i like the minor characters um some of the plot is serviceable like god i love serial killer shit you know like mysterious serial killer shit oh the body shows up 15 years later Ooh, how mysterious you know i like stuff like that um the plot is very ham-handed and tropey it'll never be great it'll never be a great story but i don't think deadly premonition one's plot was great either um better than this but it's like it's a video game the hope is that it gives you a full experience that in totality Mm -hmm. is worth it and so you can say the whole experience was great i keep saying this lately too where it's like video games aren't just a passive story medium so the story isn't just cutscenes, regardless of how many cutscenes you cram into your games people largely criticize kojima for that right because it's like you can't just cram more cutscenes into your game and say that it's a better story. Like, yeah. cause it's not, then you're just making final fantasy, the spirits within. And we all know how that went. Um, and like it, there's a whole experience. You have to look at it in totality and say, this experience was great. So yeah, I'm not going to jump out on a limb and say the original deadly premonition. Great story. Wow. When can I read it in a novel every night before I go to sleep? (laughs) But it's like that experience was great. The whole thing it did was great. Mm -hmm. And that's the magic of video games. This doesn't have any of that. It barely feels like a video game for long sections of it. You know? Yeah. I, I really, it's hard to say if they could fix the traversal. Like if the skating wasn't so janky and broken, um, yeah, it could be fixed. But like things that can't be fixed, like the uh, the dungeons. What are you gonna do? Like redesign all three dungeons? Let's cut them. Like dude. it's just not gonna happen, man. Cut them. I mean, cut them. Cut them. Yeah, keep the cutscenes and do like a little mini dungeons instead. Nobody's here for that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the I days felt- of the week doesn't need Ugh. to happen. It's sleeping for five days unless you give me a ton of shit of other things to do don't make me do that like well give me a ton of side quests or something instead well totally and it's funny because like i'm still playing days gone a game that i'm very much enjoying and that's a game where you can accidentally go out on a quest and be gone for like a week when you meant to be gone for like a day and it's because that game world is huge the traversal is really fun and there's a bunch of stuff to do. And so it's like playing that game after playing this game, it's crazy. Cause it's like, they just put the cart before the horse. Like they just had an idea and they didn't think about if it would work in the game or enhance the game. So it's it like, it feels like two different games too. Yeah. You know? The, the, the story detective bits seem so well crafted. And then the combat and open world stuff is just such a mess. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, like, once again, I'm still going to object to the story and the pace and the structure and everything, but I will say that this game would have been more tolerable had it been actually finished, had it not had so much combat. Like, yeah, if you got rid of Days of the Week, got rid of the overworld combat, got rid of the dungeons, like, you just got rid of so much shit and just made it so that it was about exploring and all that kind of stuff, and it mm-hmm. ran even okay I mean, did the um, side note, did I know there's a cemetery, uh, a grave digger, graveyard keeper guy. Does he ever say anything to you or is he part of the plot at all? Uh, I didn't experience that. Yeah. So maybe I, I feel like there's stuff that was cut that needs to come back. I mean, 
it's just right now the game is not fun to play it's not fun Mm. to explore it and it and it stands in the way of you doing that like i did have some fun on 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 the first chapter just kicking around the town exploring and finding things yeah i mean but that's like i don't know that's so emblematic of the problem with this game where like i agree i think the game has a decent intro like first couple hours with it they're not terrible and but it's because you're going around and yeah you're exploring stuff and like you know oh i'm gonna go to the jazz bar and like see what's there like oh i'm gonna go try and kind of see everything on my map that's like annotated on there then after you do that you realize that there's nothing to do there and there's no point to any of the stuff being there like even i tried so hard to talk to the skate shop owner yes. and I was, I was like can i get a new board can i upgrade my board like it looks like i can because there's other boards and parts on the wall and shit and like mm-hmm. never she only wanted to talk to me about upright bass and i was like motherfucker i was in orchestra in high school i don't need to hear about fucking upright bass <laughs> i'm trying to upgrade my goddamn skateboard you know that got cut you know that got cut and it's yeah. just like yeah i mean once again it feels like it feels unfinished on so many levels that like even in a story way though. So yeah, maybe if the story was longer and had more going on, maybe the days of the week thing would have worked and blah, blah, but it's like, it's so far from finished that it's, it's not good. And I think I've said this over and over in the discord. I'm annoyed that people are fixating so hard on the, the frame rate stuff. Cause it's like, yeah, it sucks. But like, there's so many other ways in which this game is unfinished. And like, yeah, I don't know. I, I felt so bad playing this game because like <laughs> all I wanted was Deadly Premonition 2 to be yeah. good. It doesn't seem like a Switch exclusive. It seems like yeah. it came out of nowhere. Did they take a bunch of Nintendo money and just like squeeze it out real quick to cash in on that? Do they have plans for expanding it later? Like, I imagine what happened was they took a bunch of Nintendo money and then they were like, guys... We're buying G wagons. <laughs> so, Deadly Premonition Three, you think it's going to happen? I hope not. If this is what you it's hope like, not? no way, no thanks. I'm good. I have my memories, my beautiful, sweet memories of the first mm. game. That's all. I need more York slash Zach in my life, man. And there's still a lot of time between Greenvale and Lacare. But he like retired after Greenvale. Yeah, I mean, well, like, but before Greenville, but after Lacare. Hey, what's a fucking dude? You know about the red trees. Why are you acting so ignorant in Greenville about red trees? Kaysen's carrying around a fucking red tree. You don't remember that? What's going on? Dude, man. What the fuck happened? Yeah, okay. Well, the <laughs> plot holes that this game introduces to yeah. the original game are mad. We didn't even touch on it. It's nope. huge. Yep. So, like, okay, first of all, there's that. The whole first case was all about red trees like or red seeds red trees like you yeah. know all this stuff you're not learning shit when you're like well you shouldn't be in the next game the other thing is that it's basically insinuated that he had a vision where he fully saw Kaysen and he's already met uh Willie yep so it's like why would he not have any inclination when he meets them in the second like he seems like such a dumbass in deadly premonition one now he looks like an even (laughs) bigger dumbass because this game claims that like he knew about all this shit before the greenvale case at all i mean just retcon this whole garbo game (laughs) 
get it out of here, dude. It sucks. Uh, I, I want to do a full review. Not even to debate, but to just talk about like all these nitty gritty, goofy plots yeah. and stuff. You know, I would, I would absolutely do it. But it's also yeah. just like, god damn, this game is a mess. I couldn't stop thinking of all the shit that it introduces. That I'm just like, wow. Like, are you sure you wrote the first game? <laughs> I've, you know, I've been reading your extreme negativity towards this game in the Discord all week, and then I, I'm like. I feel like Ollie would rather just forget about it exi- its existence, but then you know, you know, Deadly Premonition's always gonna come up, and so you have to you have to make peace with Deadly Premonition too. I really kind of tried to petition for us not to do this episode. I know, <laughs> and I I had that thought, like I had a deep thought, like when I got that dead game and I couldn't progress, and I spent like half of my Tuesday trying again, uh-huh. starting from the beginning of chapter three. I'm like. Do I really want to talk about this game? You know? Yeah. But yeah, it's Deadly Premonition, man. It's our buddy York. <laughs> I don't think we're friends anymore, dude. I think we just had a friend <laughs> breakup. Well, York has some uh, learning to do. <laughs> some self-reflection, some learning. Yeah. As I recently read in a video game review, I hope he takes a self-inventory and figures his shit out. <laughs> yeah. God damn.